More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly, your host, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to join me for this episode of Survivor Sanctuary, episode 32 to be exact. And, you know, I hope that in addition to listening to this podcast, you're also joining us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And there's always a link in the show notes to the podcast. You can just follow that link, request to join Survivor Sanctuary. And if you are a survivor of sexual abuse or love someone who is, or you're a sexual abuse advocate, you are welcome to join the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. I did want to make sure that advocates know, in case you're on the fence about whether or not you should join Survivor Sanctuary, it is definitely a place for survivors to get together. But if you spend your time advocating for the abused, we would love to have you there as well. And one of the reasons is because it is such an encouragement to the heart of a sexual abuse survivor when someone is advocating on behalf of the abused, especially when it's someone who has never experienced sexual abuse themselves. So a lot of people are affected by sexual abuse because everybody knows somebody who's been abused. So saying that someone is not affected by abuse at all would be definitely not true. However, it's different if you've never experienced sexual abuse. And so when people are advocating and they don't have that personal experience with it, it's such an encouragement to survivors that there are people who are advocating and caring for the abused. And I would love to have people like that in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And actually, we already do have some really great advocates in there. And I've had some people reach out to me and say, hey, is it okay if I join? I'm not a survivor, but I am an advocate and I care a lot about the abused. And to those people, I say a hearty yes. Please join our group. And we would love to have your insight, your perspective, and just be encouraged by the fact that there are people fighting for justice for those who have been sexually abused. So last week on the podcast, I said that I didn't want to make the entire episode about coronavirus because I know this is a tough time. Everybody is being inundated from all sides, Uh, hearing about the virus, thinking about the virus, preparing for the virus, everything. Like It just seems like we're all kind of overwhelmed with information right now. But there is something that has really been on my mind, on my heart, and that frankly has just kind of been irritating me a little bit. And I couldn't not talk about it today. So I promise I'm not going to be giving out a bunch of stats on coronavirus. I'm going to try to stay away from, you know, the actual spread and specific news about what the virus is doing right now. But there is something that has captured my attention over the last several weeks. And even though coronavirus might not seem like it has much to do with sexual abuse in the church, I am starting to see some really, really stark similarities between the way that some churches are responding to coronavirus and the way some churches respond to childhood sexual abuse within their congregations. 
So at first, there were just a few stories sprinkled around the world of churches that had made the decision to get together and have services, regardless of the social distancing recommendations from the government. Uh, Churches who, like the Mount Vernon, Washington church, where 45 members became ill, 28 of those tested positive for coronavirus, 17 didn't get tested, but they had the same symptoms as everyone else, so it's safe to say. 45 of them had coronavirus, and two people from that choir actually passed away from coronavirus um, because they were in their 80s and, of course, in a very vulnerable place physically and much more susceptible to succumbing to the virus. So this church decided to have their choir practice on March the 10th, and at that point, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I might have gotten together with somebody on March 10th. I don't think that at that point weeks ago I really understood how serious this was. And so this church actually took precautions. They sat feet apart so that they weren't touching each other. There was no hugging. There was no handshaking. There was sanitizer everywhere. And they actually were really trying to maintain their distance. Unfortunately, that many people in an enclosed space together singing, which releases, you know, everything out of your mouth pretty forcefully into the air. It was a bad idea. It unfortunately ended tragically. So that was one of the first stories in the news. And again, March 10th, I don't think that people were were thinking, let's just throw caution to the wind and ignore all of the orders around us and let's just be reckless. I, I think at that point, the church probably thought that it was safe to go ahead and have this choir practice. I just want to say that because I, I feel like sometimes when I speak out against things that the church does wrong, people tend to think it's just an all-out attack on the church. Like, you just don't like the church, and that's why you want to say all these negative things. And so I want to be real here and say that I might have attended that choir practice on March the 10th. It might have been stupid, but I might have naively thought that it would be fine as long as everybody was careful. But we're starting to see how people are not fine, even when they're being careful, taking these precautions to social distance. So when I say that I'm finding similarities between how the church handles coronavirus and how the church handles sexual abuse, I'm not referring to the fact that early on in the epidemic some people mistakenly believed that they were safe. I mean, you can draw comparisons there, I will say. Um, Oh, this person, you know, they have a past and they have repented and we never let them be alone with kids and we're taking every precaution. So it's okay if they come into this service, what could happen? We're keeping an eye on them. You know, we're social distancing. We're staying six feet apart. You can draw some comparisons there, but I think that it's more about being naive and not so much about just being completely reckless in some cases. I don't think it's smart. I think that if people are educated on sexual abuse or educated on coronavirus, they know better. But I'm making a a little bit of a concession for some churches who may not have realized the magnitude. You know, if you're far away from where the effects of coronavirus are showing themselves, like if you're not in the epicenter and you haven't had to witness firsthand what's going on, we're getting mixed messages from a lot of places. We definitely were weeks ago and months ago. So I think some concessions can be made there to say that, okay, this church wasn't just like, ah, we're sticking our nose to the government and we're going to do whatever we want and have this choir practice. I don't think that that was the case. It still ended tragically, but I don't think that it was because the church had an attitude of we'll show them and we'll meet for our choir practice anyway. Uh, But then we started to get into some news stories where it definitely was kind of a rebellion against what the government was saying about what people should do and not do while we're dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. 
There was another story recently in the news about uh, three dozen people who attended an Arkansas church event that ended up testing positive for coronavirus, including the pastor of the church and his wife, who thankfully are recovering now, but who had a little bit of a scary time. And that pastor actually made a statement on his Facebook page where he asked people to take the medical threat more seriously. He said, maybe you assumed it couldn't happen to you just like I did. Please adhere to the social instructions that you're receiving locally and nationally. And then we have some super reckless churches who are just saying in the face of this pandemic, we are going to go ahead and meet anyway. In fact, a Louisiana pastor was charged with a misdemeanor for holding services despite coronavirus. There was an executive order in the state banning gatherings of 50 or more people, but Pastor Tony Spell of Life Tabernacle Church in central Louisiana thought that he should go ahead and have church services anyway. And then we have the pastor of the megachurch in Tampa, Rodney Howard Brown of The River, who was actually arrested and booked into local jail this week on charges of unlawful assembly and violating Hillsborough County's stay-at-home order. Despite this being one of the laws of the land, like there's an order in effect that you're not to gather in large numbers, he went ahead and had people gathering in the church service claiming that they had some sort of machine in the church that would kill the virus in the air and would not let it get to anybody else. But this is the same guy who also claims that he cured Zika with his prayers. So I don't know. But he held two large church services this Sunday and last Sunday. He even bussed people into the church and they live streamed the service, but continued to encourage people to go to the church. Now, I could go on with these stories because they're popping up every single day, and I will link to some of them in the show notes so that you can follow the links and read the stories for yourself if you would like, um, different ones that I've come in contact with. But the more that I see these stories coming out, the more frustrated I'm getting, and the more I started to draw those similarities between how churches are handling coronavirus and how churches handle sexual abuse. When I tried to put my finger on why it was bothering me so much, these stories I kept hearing about and seeing people's posts on Facebook, and I've even been getting emails from some people who are just so adamant that people should not necessarily be canceling church right now. I was trying to figure out why it was bothering me so much, and that's when I started to realize this is the same irritation that I get when I hear about how churches handle allegations of sexual abuse that result in more people being abused. And one thing I'm seeing a lot right now that we see with sexual abuse in the church all the time is ignoring the law, ignoring the law so that you can handle whatever happens in your congregation in house. So like, even if somebody commits a crime by sexually abusing a child or a vulnerable adult, you'll see a lot of churches wanting to handle the matter in house and not involve the governing authorities. Even though what has happened is a crime, it's against the law, and it's actually against the law to conceal it as well, but often churches make the decision to go ahead and handle things in-house. Oh, we'll just have meetings. Oh, we'll just counsel this you know, sexual abuser. We'll just have this person apologize to the person that they abused, and then we'll forgive him. We'll keep an eye on him, and then everything's going to be fine. Kind of like you know, churches that get together and say, oh, we'll make sure that there's a lot of airflow and that people have access to Germex, and then everything's going to be fine. And then you know, seven days later, 45 people have coronavirus. So that was the first thing I noticed is people just kind of ignoring the law to make decisions in-house and nothing to me 
was a closer comparison to how churches mishandle allegations of sexual abuse and how churches are mishandling the coronavirus right now uh, is the story of the pastor of a Chicago megachurch who basically told his staff to keep an outbreak of coronavirus among pastors and staff a secret. So this church had actually already started going to online services. So they did the right thing as far as not meeting because of encouragement from the local government not to gather in groups of more than 10 or 50 or whatever the case was when this church uh, first started having the issue with a staff member coming down with coronavirus. But once the pastor of this Chicago megachurch knew that one of his assistant pastors had tested positive for the virus and that his family, his wife and his son were showing symptoms as well, this pastor continued to have the staff of the church get together and perform for the online services that they were streaming. So uh, what a lot of churches are doing right now is because people can't be physically in the pews to watch the service, they'll have a limited number of staff come to the church and record their service live. So nobody's in the pews. People are on stage. They're keeping their distance for the most part, but they're actually showing up to record. So in this mega church in Chicago, one of the assistant pastors who had been a part of one of those recordings came down with coronavirus and the pastor of the church instructed staff members to not tell anybody, including some volunteers who had been around this pastor who tested positive for coronavirus. Now, once Julie Royce, who reports on stories such as these, got a hold of the information and published something about it, uh, he actually changed his tune and then told the congregation, yes, one of our assistant pastors has coronavirus and, you know, we care so much about you. But the thing that gets me is that the first instinct is to cover it up. Even though we know that anybody who came in contact with a person who had coronavirus should definitely be told that they came in contact with them so that they can quarantine themselves and protect their own family members, especially if they have somebody in their family who has a weakened immune system or who is an elderly person. There are even strangers they might come in contact with and get too close to. Like People need to know that they've been exposed to this virus so the virus can stop spreading. But while this pastor, Pastor Martin Sloan, had the opportunity to tell the whole church, hey, we have somebody who tested positive. He attended services on this date when he might have been contagious and he's been around people since then. We need all of you to quarantine yourselves. Instead, this pastor decided, no, we're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to report it to the health department, which you're supposed to do. And we're not going to report it to the members of our congregation, even though many of them came in contact with this man while he was contagious. Now, unfortunately, this uh, assistant pastor who tested positive for the virus ended up passing away this week which we found out after the story was published because once the media got a hold of this story, the church was singing a different tune. Oh, okay, we need to tell everybody about the coronavirus now. Tell everyone they may have come in contact with somebody who had symptoms and who was later diagnosed. And uh, since then, another person who was a videographer for these live services that were being streamed uh, came down with coronavirus as well. But here's the really sad thing. There was a staff member that objected to meeting together to continue to record these live service streams because so many people had been exposed to coronavirus. And when this staff member objected or several staff members objected, the pastor asked if they wanted to remain essential because if not, that could change. So he essentially threatened their jobs like, hey, 
do you want to keep being essential or do you not want to have a job anymore? Like that's what's going to happen if you continue to complain about this coronavirus. And the first thing that just crossed my mind when I heard these threats is the exact same thing that institutions do all the time by sweeping the truth under the rug and trying to hide it, trying to contain the spread of information because that spread of information might harm the institution. So that's a huge comparison to the way churches are handling coronavirus and the way they handle sexual abuse is putting the institution over the safety of people and hiding information that could be damaging to the institution. He didn't want it to get out because he didn't want people to stop coming to these recordings for their live stream because he didn't want to have to stop live streaming because what would happen if not only they can't meet, but they can't be online anymore either. So we have ignoring the law to handle it in-house, and we have putting the institution over the safety of people. We have sweeping it under the rug because we don't want information to get out, and transparency is basically the enemy to any church who is mishandling sexual abuse, and apparently to any church who is mishandling how to deal with coronavirus. In the advocacy community and the survivor community, we get frustrated over and over and over again that churches choose to expose people to abusers rather than be transparent and risk the institution losing money or reputation or fill in the blank. That is a big frustration, and it seems to be happening now in a lot of churches where people are being exposed to a virus that could very well kill them because churches want to be able to keep meeting or they want to be able to keep live streaming or they want the institution to survive the crisis that we're in right now. And so they put the institution above the people who are in that institution and the people themselves who are in that institution. And we are the church. It's not a church building. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ. And you don't need to be in a building on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night to prove that you are a believer. It's great. Like, listen, I'm not advocating like skipping church or staying away from church or saying we don't ever need to get to it. I think it's great that people get together as a church and they can fellowship and they can worship together. I think it's awesome. Like it is very good for the spiritual well-being of a lot of people if they're able to do it. But being able to gather inside a building and take up an offering inside a building should never be more important than the safety of the people that you're asking to come into the building. And I think that that's what's happening in a lot of places right now. We have people that are definitely putting the institution over the protection of the people in their care. And here's the thing that kills me. We have the government starting to crack down. And I think it's sad because it should not be the government protecting your congregation, right? If you're a pastor, if you're a church leader, it should not be the police or the mayor or the governor or a senator. It should not be anyone in governing authority worrying about your congregants more than you are. And we're seeing that right now. We're seeing churches recklessly getting together, holding services, and then doubling down on the reasons why they're doing it. And so many churches are saying that they're doing it because, oh, you can't take our religious freedom away. And so we're being attacked because of our beliefs. And it's, it's ridiculous because no, you're not being attacked because of your beliefs. Nobody has said that you can't have a church or you can't believe in Jesus or you can't be a Christian. No one has said that you can't have online services and that people can't give to your institution. 
They're just saying, hey, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and it's really dangerous for you to be getting together in church services. And I have been getting emails and seeing Facebook posts from a person who I know in a professional sense, we'll just put it that way. And he is just adamant. Listen, even though the government's saying that, you know, 10 or fewer, like it's not a law, so we can still get together. We'll just stay six feet apart and um, churches should not be shutting down right now. We need each other more than ever. And it's like, he's just advocating incessantly for people to be able to meet together because in his mind, not being able to get together in a brick and mortar building on a Sunday is what's holding the church together. And it's not what's holding the church together. If you stop being a Christian because you have to go to church online, you were probably not a Christian in the first place. If you stop caring about your brothers and sisters in the Lord because you have missed a couple of services because there's a pandemic happening, then maybe your heart wasn't in it in the first place. And I'm not here to say that this is easy on churches. I know that there are some churches who are experiencing uh, their giving being way, way down because some people just don't give online. And so when they don't have people in church thinking about it, you know, they're not getting those offerings. So hear me when I say I completely get that it stinks right now, but it doesn't just stink for churches. It is, there are so many businesses and organizations that are suffering right now because what we're going through is unprecedented. What we're going through really, really sucks. And so nobody's denying that it is not fun, but Every time I get an email explaining why people should still be getting together because you can make it safe if you stay far enough apart, I just like it makes me crazy because we're finding out every single day how powerful this virus is and how it's airborne and we don't even know exactly how it is it spreads, but they're starting to get cases where people have had no known contact with other people. They're finding that the virus can stay live on surfaces for much longer than they thought it could. And that's not to try and scare people or make it all like, oh, the end of the world is coming. But honestly, the safety of human beings should be the number one priority. And I believe 1000%, like with all of my heart, that the Jesus that we're claiming to serve cares much more about the human beings that we're putting in danger than he does about whether or not we can get together on a Sunday morning and worship in the same building together. Jesus does not need our church services. Like he doesn't. They're great. Again, I'm not saying that I'm advocating for, you know, church being canceled forever. That's not what I'm saying at all. I understand the benefits and I'm a person who grew up in church. I know that fellowshipping with your fellow Christians is a really great thing and it is good for some people, but um, I just think it's ludicrous to think that because there may be a month or two where we're not able to do that, it is some sort of threat to our Christianity or threat to churches in general. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Is money going to be gone? Yes. But is the church going to die out because of coronavirus and not getting together? No, I don't believe that at all because I think that the church is much bigger than those buildings that we meet in on Sunday mornings. I got an email today from the same person that I mentioned has been posting a lot on Facebook and sending a lot of emails about how, you know, we shouldn't be going this crazy and we should still be able to meet as long as we can stay a certain distance apart. And one of his arguments was that, well, you know, that choir where all those people got coronavirus and a couple of them died, I mean, they were singing. And so that's really, you know, that's a lot of droplets going into the air. And most churches don't sing that much. And if we just keep our distance from each other and everyone can still be there, you know, some people can stay home, but we don't need to shut down services entirely. 
One of his reasons was that some people don't have the ability to join church online. Uh, and if they do have the capability, they don't understand how to use the technology. And I'm just thinking, okay, there are so many holes in this argument. And one of them is if a person doesn't know how to use the technology to watch church online, nine times out of 10, that person is elderly. So if you're encouraging elderly people to come to a gathering of people from all over your city uh, to come together in a building during the pandemic when they are the people who are the most susceptible to dying from this disease, that is completely reckless. Uh, a better thing to do would be to say, hey, we know that some people are having a little bit of trouble being able to access these services online. Maybe you don't know anything about an online stream. Here's what we're going to do. Maybe you can join the service via a phone call or maybe Maybe we can call you and walk you through the process of watching the service online, or maybe we can send you a link to a video that you can just click on and see the service later when it's not live anymore. Like there are so many ways that you could still help people who don't have the technology to join you online that don't involve inviting them to a church service where they could potentially contract a deadly virus and die painfully and alone. It's just ridiculous to me. And I know I'm on a little bit of a soapbox here, but the more that I keep seeing people comparing these orders to not gather in groups of more than however many people and and, and the encouragement of churches to not open their doors on Sundays, they're, they're comparing this to some sort of persecution of the church, and it is not a persecution of the church. Is it going to be hard on some churches? Absolutely, it is. There's no way around that. But is it necessary for the health and well-being of people in the world? It is. And it makes me really sad to see the way some churches, and I want to be clear that I'm saying some churches, there are a lot of churches out there who I think are doing an excellent job of handling this outbreak. They are getting creative. They're coming up with ways that they can help the community and help people in their churches. They're coming up with creative ways to do even their life groups online. I think it's awesome to see how some churches are handling this, but you are still seeing so many stories of churches that are getting it wrong. And I just can't help but draw that comparison. It is a fear of what is going to happen to the institution that takes precedent over a fear of what might happen to the sheep in your church who you're putting in danger by having services. We see it all the time with sexual abuse, ignoring the law, trying to handle things in-house, trying to cover up the truth so that your institution doesn't look bad and so you don't lose people, exposing people to dangerous things like abusers because you think you can just keep an eye on it and keep it under wraps and nothing bad will happen. And putting the institution over the safety of people. We see it all the time with sexual abuse and we're seeing it right now with coronavirus and it is absolutely driving me nuts. I'd love to see us stop over-spiritualizing the things that we do to justify the things that we do. It's what happens with sexual abuse. We spiritualize things and quote snippets of scripture that justify the things that we're doing when the reality is what we're doing is putting people in danger. If you let someone who sexually abuses children continue to be at your church surrounded by children, bad things are going to happen. And if you let a bunch of people who have been God only knows where all week long come together in one building to worship on a Sunday morning in the middle of a pandemic, you're similarly putting people in danger. Again, it isn't every church. And again, 
it isn't that no church is going to be feeling the effects of not having people in their buildings because I completely understand and respect that they are. But despite that, the people in the church are what's important. It's not the building. It's not the budget. It's not the finances. It's not who's on staff. It is members of the body of Christ who shepherds or pastors have a responsibility to. It should be them protecting people. It should be them comforting people when they're scared. It should be them saying, listen, we know that this time is super scary and we know it's difficult that you can't get together with your church family in person right now, but here's why it's important that we follow the rules. When we have pastors like that, and I'm seeing them out there, like you know who you are, I'm seeing them you know, going to their online services and trying to encourage people in any way that they can. It's awesome. And that's what we need right now. Not people saying that it's all this big conspiracy to try and get the church at large to fold or saying that somehow our religious liberty is being attacked because we're trying to stop the spread of a virus. Like people keep claiming that it's a spirit of fear that is making people not want to meet up in churches during this pandemic. But I would submit that it's a spirit of fear that drives pastors to insist that people meet even though we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's a fear of what is going to happen to the institution. It's a fear of what's going to happen to their salary when giving is down when people aren't in the building. It is all based in fear. Those decisions are not super spiritual. They are based in the fear of what might happen if they cannot maintain control of their congregation for a few weeks. And I think that that fear is way, way, way more dangerous than the fear that's driving people to stay home and socially distance. It shouldn't be the government protecting your congregation. And in situations of sexual abuse, it shouldn't be the police protecting your congregation. It shouldn't be detectives and lawyers. It should be the leadership of the church, putting the people first before the institution. We see it happen constantly with sexual abuse, and we're seeing it happen now with coronavirus. I've said it before on this podcast, and I will say it again probably 10 million times, but love always protects. And when you love the people God has put in your care, their safety is the most important thing, even if that means sacrificing yourself, sacrificing those offerings, sacrificing that salary. Is it fun? Absolutely not. Am I putting it lightly? No, because it is a big deal for a lot of people who depend on their salary uh, as a pastor or a church leader. But real love is laying down your life for other people. And that's the example Jesus gave us. So let's follow that example and let's keep people safe. Let's get these stories out of the news where church after church and pastor after pastor are just scoffing at the rules and putting people in danger. I'd love to see that stop. I'd love to see sexual abuse in churches stop as well and those cover-ups. But I mean, man, I, I feel like it is the exact same fear driving both of those things. And your church building and your church budget, they cannot be more important than the people God has entrusted you with. And I promise when you stand before him in heaven, his well done, my good and faithful servant is not going to be about that building. And it's not going to be about how much money you brought in. It's going to be how you shepherded the people that God put in your care. And I am going to get off my soapbox now and go not think about coronavirus for like an hour or two, get myself a little break. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I'd love to hear your thoughts and you can always share them on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group page. 
join us there. You can find it on Facebook and you can also follow the link in the show notes and request to join. And I will add you there. We can continue this conversation on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page. Well, I hope that you enjoy the rest of today and I'll catch you back here next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.